The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. This is Ellie Weiss and my guests today are Joyce Poole and Petter Granley of Elephant Voices. It's been a long time since we talked to Joyce and Petter, but we did meet up at the Jackson uh, Film Fest and Elephant Summit, which was a fascinating gathering of everybody and anybody in the elephant world who is doing something for elephants or is interested in helping elephant and conservation. So since that, uh, our last talk with Joyce and Petter, uh, and Jackson, so much has happened. So first, I'd like our listeners to know that you can go to their website, elephantvoices.org, and catch up on their newsletter and their blog, which tells you everything they're doing. And we're going to go over some of the myriad places that they're working in. They're, they are working in six different areas, I believe, and it's elephants, elephants, elephants everywhere. So after Jackson, I believe they headed to Mozambique, then they've been in Kenya, they've been traveling around, uh, and so now, instead of me telling you what they've been up to, welcome Joyce and Petter. Thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you, Ellie. Nice to be here. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, you, You two are really my source for what's going on, really elephant voices of what's going on. So uh, maybe we can begin in terms of elephant voices that uh, Wild Eyes did, is providing a grant uh, for some exciting database mining that you're doing to help people understand what elephants are saying, taking out, taking it out of the realm of research and science and making it accessible to everyday folks so that when you look at an elephant, you can tell what he's ta- he or she or the baby is talking about. Why don't you fill us in a little bit on how that's going? Well, Ellie, you know, we've had uh, online on our website, we've had uh, a couple of databases for a very long time. One is what we call our gestures database, which uh, describes about 200 different postures and gestures and, and what they mean. Um, and, and the other is a, an elephant calls database, so all the sounds that elephants make. And for a long time, we wanted to add 
well, we wanted to upgrade our pictures because originally the photographs were taken with, a, you know, early digital cameras and they're kind of low resolution. So we wanted to upgrade those. But we also have wanted to add video. And so we're very fortunate in that we have a, a great collaboration with um, a company called Off the Fence. And they have provided us with the raw footage from uh, um, several elephant films that we've been involved with. So we've been able to mine that material, and that's part of what the, the grant from Wild Eyes is, to mine that material and to make that, uh, that, that material available online and for, for educational purposes. So we, we are, we're into that. It's, it's actually quite... Um, Quite a job, quite an intensive job, but we're really excited about what we're finding. And even though I've studied elephants for 40 years now, actually being able to sit down with with material that you can like really study and look at over and over again, I'm finding new things that I, you know, I just had slipped by. And that's amazing. It's like being able to listen to a conversation you had at a later date and realize, wow, you know, there's so much more things going on there. I could have gone here. I could have seen that. So being able to access this footage from years ago, plus with all your combined knowledge, you're working with several partners. You're working with, um, let's see, the African Conservation Center, Save the Elephants, the Mara Elephant Project, and of course, Elephant Voices. So between all of you and the work that you're doing in Gorongosa is just an immense amount of material. I can imagine it. I don't know. I honestly don't know how you set aside time between all the work that you're doing, plus the the work that you're doing with the um, Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil, I honestly don't know how you find the time, but you must have an incredibly uh, fantastic team. Well, it's just the two of us. <laughs> That's an incredibly fantastic team. I think I'd like to add that uh, this particular work is something that we have been as, as as Joy said, we have been wishing to to do for actually quite a few years, and it's it's a fantastically rewarding job. Uh, yes, it it has to do with looking through then now through you know professionally recorded video, so we can see, we can um, uh, let it go slow, we can really study everything, and based on what we know from before, what we have in our databases, this way of working is very rewarding. So yes, it it means uh, sitting concentrate for quite a long time um, every day when we can uh, spend time doing it but it's, uh, it's it's interesting and we think it's going to be very fascinating for other people to be able to, to check out these, these databases. And it is so, fascinating. So, um, I'm sorry, go ahead Joyce. No, I was just saying that you know the work that we're doing with Save the Elephants, uh, ACC and, and uh, uh, Mara Elephant Project that's that's our work in the Mara, and although that is uh, purely conservation work, it's about you know understanding where elephants are moving, uh, where fences are being put up, how we can set aside corridors for elephants, and yet even then we are we are collecting data for this other this other work because what we're finding, and and we actually just watched the the final cut. 
cut for an upcoming, a wonderful upcoming film called um, Minds of Giants. So people have to keep an eye out for that. But what we're finding is that elephants are using their, you know, their cognitive abilities um, uh, to navigate this very complex uh, uh, human landscape. Human, human inhabited world, yeah. Yeah. And they are changing what they're doing. And you can actually see them communicating. You can see them making their decisions of how they're going to get through this, you know, change, ever-changing maze that they have to, that they have to navigate. So, so our, our, our work on communication, even though one thinks, oh, that's just, you know, research, it actually has application to protecting elephants and understanding elephants. That's a good point you make. You know, there's a lot of research and people understand, well, you know, I'm donating to this. What's it going to do? And a lot of research ends up sitting on a shelf. Nobody ever reads it. You're making it accessible. And this brings to mind two little points before we move on to some of the work that you're doing in the Mara. At the um, PAUSE conference a couple of years ago, you did, Joyce, an excellent presentation of uh, the database that you, showing where one elephant went to avoid human habitats. And you can, listeners, you can tune into that episode. It's on Our Wild World. Go under the previous episodes or the guest tabs and find Joyce Poole, and you'll learn a lot about that. And then recently at um, Jackson, you did you showed a clip of elephant gestures and it was in slow motion and you showed it to us two or three times us in the audience and we could see what you were talking about you highlighted verbally for us what we were seeing and then you showed it without talking so that we could actually see what the elephant was saying and then recently there was a Facebook post where um, someone had posted uh, about a young mother elephant trying to save her baby or get her baby elephant out of a trough that had fallen into upside down. And there was a lot of, um, uh, I'll say, um, captions as to what the behavior was. And I remember sending it to you saying, can you tell me a little bit better of what your insight with your expertise of what's being said? And um, it was amazing. And uh I hope you would you would join in that conversation and say, you know, here's here's what's going on. So basically that the captions <laughs> highlighted what was going on, but it's a, it's a fascinating clip to watch to see the intelligence of the older matriarchs coming in to a younger matriarch and saying, you know, step aside, youngster, we can handle this. If you'll just get out of our way, we will get this baby out and watch it all happen. And to be able to interpret that by being in your and Petter's mind would be an absolute fascinating place to be. So I just want to say thank you for that because you're amazing people. So let's move in. You, you started on the Mara and you're doing a lot of work on the Mara, which is basically conservation based. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, you know, Ellie, we have, we've been working there for the, well, since uh, 2011 uh, doing a citizen science project where we were engaging members of the local community, tourists, um, yeah, just a range of, of different people collecting data. And, and with that, and together with Save the Elephants, uh, uh, who have been collaring elephants and collecting satellite tracking information, um, and the Mara Elephant Project that has also been on the ground doing anti-poaching. 
we have put together our sort of combined um, combined knowledge, if you were, uh, if you will, or and and data to form a picture of what's happening to elephants in the face of you know major land use changes. Um, the Mara around the Mara, the land has been well once communally owned land has been subdivided into individual. Um, land holdings and people are putting up fences so suddenly the elephants you know what was once open space is being closed off and how are the elephants responding what what are the you know what are the most important routes for them and how can we um how can we protect those as corridors? So we actually Peter and I uh together with others have just finished a report to the Narok uh, County, and we've had a meeting with members of the Environment and Natural Resources Committee on how to take our report forward, so that our recommendations and the and the and all what we've learned can be incorporated into um, a spatial plan that hopefully will ensure that the you know the Mara continues and and elephants can survive and continue moving from from one habitat to the next. Well, you bring up an important point. It used to be around national parks and reserves. The the Mara is a reserve, isn't it? It's not a national park because it's multi-use. There's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there used to be buffer zones that created sort of an open place where people did not inhabit that allowed some spatial movement between the reserve or the national park and human communities. With the uptick in human uh, population and human agriculture, and as you said, the dividing up of what used to be communal lands into individual parcels with fences has put a lot of pressure, human-elephant-wildlife conflict, on these areas. So do you think your report will be listened to in the proper channels, not only by the, the council who sort of runs things, but the communities? Do you find that they're willing to make changes to... Um, let elephants move through? Um, well, we have to see what happens, Ellie. I, I feel that the report that we have presented and that we're going to continue to present and, and talk about with different stakeholders um, in a very, very clear language tells a story about an ecosystem that, uh, that also today is fantastic. It was more fantastic 10 years ago. It was more fantastic five years ago than today because the human pressure is enormous around the Mara. Uh, um, the Masamara is, you know, known around the world. It's a milking cow for the for the county. Um, what is dangerous is any kind of system like this is to take that revenue that flows in for granted, and you have to invest. You have to invest in keeping it the way it, it has been to a certain extent. Uh, at, at the same time, you have to find a balance between the needs uh, for wildlife and the needs for for people. Uh, going back to the question that you asked, it's not really buffer zones around the Masamara. Uh, what has happened is that it's been a conservancy movement or people, uh, different individuals, organizations have been able to start their conservancies around. Uh, the Masamara is now 10, 11 conservancies and they uh, today represents a buffer zone, uh, as you can call it. They are 
pay, basically paying the landowners, the Maasai landowners, uh, to use the land for for their tourism, for for conservation. Uh, they depend on on income from uh, revenue from from people visiting, and uh, the situation right now is that uh, the national reserve and the conservancies as a the whole area, they are totally dependent on, on each other uh, because the elephants in, in particular, they need, uh, they need to find grass. They need to be able to browse. Uh, it's not much to browse inside the reserve. It's not even much grass inside the reserve. So, so they, the, the pressure on the, on the conservancies are, are increasing. But the overall, the bigger picture is that uh, we, we have to find, or, or, or Kenya and, and our county have to find a balance between Again, the needs of people and wildlife to be able to keep this this fantastic ecosystem going for the benefit of, of everybody. And in, in in terms of a fantastic, fanta- I'm sorry, fantastic ecosystem, um, wildlife drives these ecosystems. Elephants are the largest land uh, mammal there. They create corridors. They are very destructive if they're piled in too close together. Um, Conflict is somewhat inevitable, but finding ways to work through conflict solutions where elephants and people can live together is a big part of what not only your database is trying to do, but all the the teams you have working in each place. Um, I understand in the Mara you have some local uh, uh, students from the universities helping with this work. So you're bringing in the local communities who, who are some of the largest stakeholders besides the politics, which can get very convoluted. So from the Mara, <laughs> uh, g- g- well, yeah, a little giggle there. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, just uh, say no more. She, she, just, she just smiled so you could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our moment of levity because anybody who's been in Kenya or East Africa or anywhere in Africa understands TIA. This is Africa and excuse me it doesn't work the way it works here in western civilization there's a whole lot of reasons why things do most certainly work they just work slightly differently so um, anybody who's worked in Africa will uh, be able to chuckle along with us on that one so from the Mara um, uh, you also work in I'm going to probably mispronounce it, Gorongosa, uh, which has been mispronounced by me many times and a lot of people. And you showed your award-winning film at Jackson Hole um, with also that I believe your brother, Bob Poole, um, is involved in. And fascinating film. And listeners, you can find it on television. PBS showed it. You can find it online. It's definitely worth watching. So you've spent some time over there. Would you like to fill us in a little bit on what's happening in Mozambique? Wow. Um, well, Mozambique is a big country. Um, okay, I'll narrow country. it down to your oh. area. <laughs> yes, it is a big okay. country, and people forget that, that there are within yes. these huge countries on this huge continent called Africa, there are small spaces that are um, biodiverse hotspots, which is such a uh, term thrown around, but are critical habitats for particular species. And the area that you're working in, in Gorongosa National Park, is one of those. So help us understand yes. a little bit more what you're doing there. Because <clears throat> okay. it was, it was well, pretty much a defunct place that has been brought back to um, 
condition of a national park, correct? Yeah, it's, it's being it's being resuscitated. Okay. Um, and and that that in itself is is a fascinating ex, um, experiment, the restoration of an ecosystem. Uh, but just to to back up a little bit and get back to the 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 picture of Mozambique, you know, in the northern part of Mozambique is some of the worst poaching on the continent, and then where we are in Gorongosa, up until now. That is, in the last few years, there's been almost no poaching. But this is in a population that was the kind of the epicenter of the civil conflict that uh, occurred between Renamo and Frelimo um, in, the, in the 80s and into the early 90s, uh, where something like 95 to 98% of this population of elephants was killed. So it's now sort of 20 years on after the, the, the poaching uh, pretty much came to an end or at least came down to a trickle. And, and you know, what's happened? And the, and the elephants there are nothing like the elephants that, that I've studied and we've studied in East Africa, uh, you know, in, in parks where they've been well protected um, and are are basically relaxed in the in the presence of people. There is another story, and the elephants are extremely aggressive. They've kind of developed a, a a culture, if you will, of aggression. Sounds like so. We're happens, we're trying to understand the. the I, I was going to say it sounds like what happens after a country like let's say Somalia or Sudan or Ethiopia has lived with nothing but war for decades. The children that grow up, in this case baby elephants growing up to be adults know nothing but conflict yeah no i mean uh, there's there's certainly that and it's uh, trying to understand um you know the how how long does it, does this sort of impact last and uh how quickly or not can it change how how important in a way even is this kind of behavior as a in a way, a defense mechanism, a response, a way of of coping with the kind of impacts that they that they face. You know, some some elephants are 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 poached to oblivion or almost oblivion and respond by what we call panic running. And then you have other populations like this where they respond by attacking. So for us, uh, it's it's kind of it's it's very interesting. Uh, studying elephants that uh, respond differently because, you know, you learn so much more. Uh, If you study whatever animal you study or even if you study people and try and understand them, if you you just look at them in the same context, you only learn that perspective. But if you if you study, let's say, people and under a wide variety of different um, Situations, um, you know, yeah, situations. Then, then you then you have a better picture of what it, what is it to be a human being? What is it to be an elephant? So that sort of brings but us I'm, to I'm, that kind of brings us to you know elephants in captivity, which we'll talk about a little bit later because you're involved with the uh, global sanctuary for elephants in Brazil with Scott Blaze. But watching elephants in captivity, which we did for so long, thinking we understood this is what elephants in the wild do, what you have helped us understand is they are completely different 
cultures. Just like somebody who lives in urban New York is very different than someone like me who lives in wild Colorado. Uh, our influences, our situations, our stories are different and our histories are different. So it must be incredibly exciting to find this whole new encyclopedia of information at your fingertips and to be able to add to your database. I, I, I agree with you on everything except one thing. I don't think that captive elephants in zoos have any kind of culture at all. I think they're just completely impoverished. Thank <laughs> so, you for saying that. I, 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 don't I, think, I, I hope I don't you would say that. I don't think they can compare to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. There is, And this is a lot of what we talked about in Jackson. Um, we did that short yeah. little film that uh, was, plays on Vimeo and all throughout the web. Elephants belong in the wild. At, at this point, we were saying elephants belong in Africa, whether they're Sri Lankan, Asian, or wherever elephants live, that's where they belong. They do not belong in captivity. And discussing getting them out of captivity is what we're going to talk a little bit later about the Global Sanctuary for Elephants. And Scott Blaze was on our program a while back, so our listeners can tune in to that. But <coughs> captivity is not a place for a sentient being such as an elephant. And uh, we talked to a lot of people that captivity for an animal is if they can thrive and enjoy their lives that they would similarly in the wild, then sanctuary is a place for them. Captivity is not. And uh, we could have a whole conversation about uh, the one zoo in California that is creating one of the largest elephant captive uh, breeding centers that is trying to represent a wild landscape. And it was interesting that I don't think it'll work. And I think you'll agree with me. But uh, anyway, we went on a tangent. Sorry. So um, to bring us back to what's going on in Mozambique and Gorongosa, um, you were there. When were you last there? We were there in October. Okay. That feels and like it was just a couple due days to go, ago. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and we were, were due to go back again in May. Okay. And I, I, I think I... I I think I'd like to add that, you know, part of what we are, we and, and others um, are trying to do in Gorongosa, uh, we have spent time there since 2011, is to uh, to be with these elephants, uh, to to try to see or get them used to having people around, because yes, as Roy said, they are, many of them are quite aggressive. Um, at the same time, it's, it's vital for the park, it's vital for everybody around that, that these elephants also learn that that you know, even we human beings can be basically good people. Uh, this park, as most other national parks, depend on on, on visitors, depend on tourism long term to be able to survive. Um, so, so that's partly what we are engaged in, trying to to basically to get these elephants to to learn over time uh, with very careful approach, with with very respectful approach that that we human beings, there are quite a few among us that are actually quite uh, quite good people. But, but that said, Ellie, we, um, it is also fair to say that there are some ominous signs uh, that things may change. Um, there, there have been a couple of uh, elephants poached. Um, <clears throat> and with, with everything that's happening in, in northern Mozambique, the terrible poaching up there, um, it, it, 
things could change overnight. And so part of what we're also doing is ensuring there are systems in place so that uh, data are collected so that, you know, we we are prepared, you know, if there is a sudden change and the elephants become vulnerable. Wow, this is amazing. We're out of time for this first section, but we have a lot to talk about with my guests, Joyce Poole and Petter Grandley. So we're going to step away and take a short break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W I L D I Z E at W I L D I Z E dot O R G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guests Joyce Poole and Petter Granley. So in the first section, we covered a lot of territory, and we're not going in any particular um, path direction. We're covering a lot of ground. And uh, we spoke about captivity and uh, why this is so not good for elephants. So right now, happening right now, what our listeners can do something about, and what we're going to talk about is the... um, Uh, I don't even know if I can use the word proposed, the ongoing um, capture of elephants in Swaziland for two zoos in the United States. Joyce, you have a few, Joyce and Petter, you both have a few things to talk about that could enlighten 
our audience, uh, especially here in the U.S., we have a global audience, but enlighten us as to why this is so wrong. Well, you know, Swaziland's a very small country, and they they had actually um, exterminated all the, their elephants, and so the, the only elephants they had in Swaziland were uh, orphans from culls in in South Africa, baby elephants that had been brought in and had grown up, they, having having imported our, these elephants uh, back probably in the 80s or 90s, 80s I guess, they then decided they had too many and so San Diego Zoo in 2003 took a bunch of them and we protested that but that one went through and um, now, again, they're taking another 18 of these, these elephants that are closely bonded, they're related to one another, they're in family groups, and they have split up this, I think there are like 38 elephants, and they've split them into, uh, split off 18 of them, and those 18 are going to be divided again into three groups of six and go to three U.S. zoos. This is the proposal. Now... Um, each of the six will have maybe one adult female and the rest will be young, uh, which means that those, those youngsters, the, the remaining five in each group, will maybe one or two of them will be her offspring, but the rest will be, have been snatched from someone else. So the whole thing is just an outrage. And um, Swaziland is saying if these U.S. zoos don't, uh, uh, take them, then they will kill them. This is just a, a threat. I mean, they haven't. There are other places in Africa that have offered to take the elephants, um, uh, and it's just it, it's just outrageous that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has determined that it's okay to take these elephants from the wild and bring them into captivity. Uh, it, for uh, for us, it leaves us as as advocates for elephants to remain in the wild. We are, we're left with no leg to stand on when we're trying to argue against Zimbabwe capturing two hundred baby elephants to ship them off to China. You know, it's uh, you know you'd think that uh, with all we know about elephants, that we'd move beyond um, thinking that it's okay to capture them and stick them in captivity. And there was a whole lot of noise, internet uh, petitions. Um, I had several guests on speaking about the Zimbabwe capture of elephants, and it got a lot of international attention. It didn't stop it. Um, It may yet stop it. It's a six-year project. But here we are facing the same thing with Swaziland and the U.S. instead of China. Everybody railed against China and um, Zimbabwe for doing this. But this one is going kind of quiet. You see the odd petition. You see a lot, you know, some groups really fighting for this on Facebook and social media. But it's not getting nearly the attention it should. So what can we do as listeners and advocates for elephants? What can we do to highlight and bring attention to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife and put pressure on these zoos that this is just, as you said, an outrage. This is not acceptable. Well, Ellie, actually quite a lot of noise was made. In fact, um, there were 50 of us elephant experts and caretakers who wrote a 
statement to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But, you know, we didn't even get an answer. We were completely ignored um, when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service went ahead and gave permission. Um, and, you know, so now actually there's a group going to, to court over this. But I think it comes down to uh, a situation with CITES. You know, the, the way, the way you know, Swaziland is a so-called Appendix One country, and there are certain, uh, in order to ship live elephants out of an Appendix One country, you have to meet certain criteria. You know, you have to make sure that uh, it's going to um, an acceptable destination um, and that it's not primarily for commercial purposes. Is so it, is it something very like what they just did with lions that it has to have conservation value? Yeah, kind of. But okay. so, so the zoos argue that this is not primarily commercial. And yet we all know that it's baby elephants and elephants that sort of bring people to the zoo. Um, and these guys are paying a lot of money for these elephants. So I don't know how they can argue that. But anyway, this is the sort of the problem is really this, the regulations in CITES are very waffly. And there's, and there's really nothing that nothing that protects the welfare of the animals. The only thing that protects the welfare of the animals is in the, sh- the shipment, but nothing about, you know, the capture before or the life afterwards. So we are very concerned that the, the CITES and U.S. Fish and Wildlife just have not taken the, the, these individual animals' welfare into consideration at all. So that's what this court case will be about. So, I, I also like to, I also like to add it. I also like to add Ellie, that um, well it feels it, it may sound a little bit arrogant, but at the same time, uh, Elven Voices elfenvoices.org, We are not about um, doing campaigns. We are based on 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 sound science. So, so so what we are arguing toward your fish and wildlife, what we are arguing arguing in these kind of cases is based on. Yeah, basically on on, uh, on on scientific evidence, which means that we we, we feel it's quite surprising that uh, also this time that you switch my life is just kind of ignoring the people like us and and taking uh, letting this uh, this thing happen. Do you think the um, maybe this is out of left field? Do you think the new players in uh, IUCN and CITES, like the safari clubs, who are interested in hunting? Have any uh, pressure here? Have a have an outweighed voice because they bring so much money to bear to CITES and IUCN? Do you think that's affecting these decisions? I I, I honestly don't don't know that. I uh, so I'm I'm going to be very careful saying anything. Uh, I know that they have become members, but if that means anything in terms of decision making. It could well be, but uh, but I'm not the one to say that that's uh, that's behind these no, decisions. I think Ellie, you know, these the 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 acceptable destination and primarily commercial purposes or not primarily commercial purposes. Those clauses have been there for a very long time, so um, it, it's just that we have to. CITES is not there to protect the welfare and the well-being of animals, unfortunately. Right. It their just does is, not do that. It's their, a trade. Their operative it's word a is trade. It's organization. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so we don't have anything out there that protects these millions, millions of live animals in trade, you know, for pet stores, for whatever. Elephants are, you know, they're, they're big and we care a lot about them, but never mind the, the, the birds, the parrots, the lizards, the things that, that are, that die on the way to, on the way to these markets. Um, so it's a very big problem. It's not just elephants. It's just that we happen to be focused on elephants, but how to rewrite these uh, resolutions in CITES or get someone to rewrite them that will, you know, that will, <laughs> well, this is something is broad enough to protect. This is something we spoke about at the Jackson Elephant Summit, creating, and I don't know um, how far it's gone or if it got picked up at all, creating a um, flip side, let's, for lack of a better phrase, to CITES, one that's focused on protection and conservation versus trade of endangered and not only endangered but flora and fauna worldwide world heritage species um you know a a check or a balance to the check of CITES do you think that's possible that something like that can get created in enough time not necessarily to protect these 18 elephants or the 200 that are going to China from Zimbabwe but to uh within a reasonable time limit to uh, protect Earth and her resources because in the end, it is our survival. I, I think it's, uh, especially short term, it's very difficult uh, or unrealistic to be able to create create an alternative or a, or a totally new societies or, or something similar. But I think it's important to try to um, influence CITES um, and then the member states because that's you know that's how, how CITES is built up it has to be the member states and deciding that uh, the mandate of CITES should be changed and and also more include uh, welfare uh, the welfare perspective but going back to what we started to discuss um, to me this is uh, even more because CITES is one one side of the story another side of the story in this particular case is use and wildlife so I, I am, in, in this particular case, uh, extremely disappointed by using Fish and Wildlife permitting this. Um, and so that's when you ask what people can do. Yeah, write to them. Tricky question, but they can certainly write to them. They can, they can make, make the noise in there with, uh, together with the local media uh, if they're able to do that. They can talk with people. Um, you know, that's, that's what we can do to, to try to, to influence uh, using my life in the next import because I'm sure it's going to be in new cases. So that's it. You heard it here, folks, listeners. Um, we need our voices. Each of us has a voice to speak up for those that are voiceless. Um, they have voices, the wildlife, but we need to speak for them and to help our administration and our institutions that have uh, the ability to make the choice of life and death and captivity or wild for these animals. We need to make them hear our voice in uh, support for the work that Elephant Voices is doing and all the work that uh, all the other people that I've had on guests on this show. We need to speak up for wildlife. It will make a huge difference, (coughs) excuse me, to the planet and our future. So um, once again, please check out elephantvoices.org, the website. Follow them on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and 
use your voice and your computer and your time on Facebook to speak up and raise awareness and get people to write to U.S. Fish and Wildlife, write to your state senators, write to the zoos, and uh, say this is simply no longer acceptable based on science and data, hard science, hard data, that in this day and age, 2016, this is not something we should be doing and that we should be putting our efforts and our money, um, these huge sources of money, into protecting wildlife in situ where it lives and finding ways to help the people, the communities who live with wildlife, to find ways to live in coexistence and reduce the conflict. So I got on my soapbox there for a minute, but I think that's what we're trying to say. But um, we've still got some time here. Uh, Joyce, uh, we're going to move back up to Kenya for a little bit. Uh, And you'd uh, done an aerial uh, reconnaissance and an uh, open airplane, no less. You do some exciting things and some (laughs) kind of scary things looking for elephants in a place called the Forest of the Lost Child. What a beautiful name. So uh, tell us where that is and what's going on there. And that is where you're also working in collaboration with the other uh, organizations, uh, African Conservation Center, Save the Elephants, Mara Elephant Project, and, of course, Elephant Voices. What's going on up there in the forest of the lost child? Well, it's it's really part of the Mara ecosystem. You know, where we talked about before is about 3,000 square kilometers, but elephants are moving over an area of about 8,000 square kilometers in in southern Kenya, in in Narok County, and um, and so the, the the forest of the lost child is on the very eastern boundary of Narok County, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, very biodiverse um, dry forest, uh, dry forest that sort of hangs over the edge of the Great Rift Valley, and so if when you're on the top of this forest um, or on top of the peaks there and you look down, you're looking down over, if any of the listeners know, Lake Natron and Lake Magadi. These are soda lakes um, on the boundary between Kenya and Tanzania. Anyway, it's spectacular country. Um, And I was uh, privileged to spend two days in an open air cam aircraft looking for elephants um, in this in this wonderful country. Astonishing. So, folks, get out your map, look up Kenya, find that, find East Africa, find Kenya within East Africa, and then zoom in and look at the Rift Valley, and then find above that the Forest of the Lost Child. There is so much diversity in just one country in across this great continent of sub-Saharan Africa and Africa as a whole that is home to such spectacular diversity that we are disturbing by our presence um, and our use of these resources. So we have opportunities to protect places before they become a challenge or a conflict And this is a lot of what Elephant Voices is about. So do please visit their website. There is so much fascinating information there. So um, we have some time left. Petter, you're involved in, uh, you're going to be going to Brazil here in a a little while because you're working with and help start up uh, this Global Sanctuary for Elephants. So we had Scott Blaze on this program uh, talking about 
what he was trying to do, and that was two years ago. A lot has happened. Uh, fill us in, and then I'm going to get Scott on the program, and he can tell us even more. But how is Elephant Voices involved? Well, Elephant Voices, um, we have been involved in South America the last uh, since 2010, um, to a large extent through uh, yeah, a volunteer, a fantastic woman called Junia Machado. Uh, she lives in Sao Paulo, and she wanted to. She wrote to us. She wanted to work for elephants. She saw an elephant in Sao Paulo Zoo that she thought looked terrible, and she wanted to help that elephant. And then uh, we started to communicate. She has been here several times with us. Um, uh, so the point is that she wanted to help move the situation in in Brazil forward. We have had uh, Skype meetings with uh, members of the parliament, the, legisla- the legislators in Sao Paulo seem to, or in, in, sorry, in Brazil, they seem to be interested in and willing to, to change the legislation. So it's more protective of the welfare of, of wildlife and then, and in this case, elephants. Captive then, elephants, correct? Captive, sorry, captive elephants. There are no white elephants in South America today. And uh, of course, they're not in, in Brazil, Brazil either. So in these discussions, then, uh, from an early stage, we, we talked about the possibility uh, to, to get the sanctuaries started. Um, so that discussion went back and forth, and then we ended up in 2013 discussing with, directly with Scott and Cat Blaze and got the, them interested. Um, and to make a long story short, they then, uh, with uh, a bit of help from us, started up uh, with us as uh, Elephant Voices as co- uh, co-founders, started up Global Sanctuary for Elephants, and also then started up an organization in Brazil, uh, which then formally is behind this, uh, this uh, sanctuary that uh, is now in the process of being started in, in Mato Grosso, the state of Mato Grosso, in the middle of Brazil. A fantastic property. Uh, you you started by by saying that I, I'm going to go there soon, but I actually just just came back from oh, okay. Mato in Brazil, and I'm sure I'm going to be back there not not too long from now. Um, fantastic property, 2,800 acres. Uh, Scott and Cat Place are working hard to get this going. Um, starting to build some fences in the, in a week or two. Um, yes, that's a short story. Fantastic property, extremely well suited for elephants. Uh, it's around 35 elephants in captivity in Brazil, uh, around 20 more in other parts of South America. Quite a few of these poor elephants are living under extremely bad conditions. And that's the basis to, for, for our work in Brazil and for what Scott and Blaise now are doing, uh, Scott and, and Kat are doing uh, in Mato Grosso. So the point of Global Sanctuary for Elephants and this 2,800-acre property is to take elephants from poor conditions in captivity and put them into true sanctuary. And the difference in sanctuary is they're not on display. They have the ability to make choices of what they want to do every day. They're not on um they're not being used for entertainment. They're being rehabilitated from poor conditions and rehabilitated to um 
better human interaction, better people, as you had said earlier, um, knowing that there are better humans out there than some of the ones that they've encountered before. So um, please do listen to the previous episode with Scott Blay and the previous episodes with Joyce and Petter because you'll get a lot wider understanding of how all this ties together. So today we're just trying to catch up on the work. Um, conservation is a long-term process. It happens slowly, and then every now and then you get a huge spike where something tremendous happens and it moves things forward dramatically, and Elephant Voices is involved in a lot of that, from the report that uh, just came out to um, providing research data and material to U.S. Fish and Wildlife, to everything we've talked about in this program. So um, people out there, please help. You can visit... Uh, elephantvoices.org and donate and help them accomplish their work, whether it's the Elephant Voices database and gestures or um, the Global Sanctuary for Elephants or what's going on in Gorongosa or what's going on in Kenya. Elephants need our help. So we've got just uh, like about four minutes left here. What would be, um, what's, what's next for you guys? I, I mean, you're already doing so much, but where are you going to next? You're heading, Petter, you're heading back to Brazil. Joyce, you're heading back to Mozambique. What's going on in the meantime? <laughs> <laughs> well, just to, just to say, it, it probably will take a few months. Um, you know, we are very excited to to hear news, uh, updates. We just had the board meeting. We hope to have elephants coming to the, to the sanctuary in a few months' time, and I certainly both Joyce and I hope to be back there in, uh, when, when that happens. Right now, we are going to be in, in Kenya until early April. Uh, we are going to be in Mozambique in, in May. So right now, that's, uh, that's our plans. But I, 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 if you allow me, I would be very happy to say that right now, Global Sanctuary for Elephants and Elephant Sanctuary Brazil, which is the, the local organization, they are trying hard to raise funds for what, what they are doing, which is a fantastic effort. Uh, so uh, if any of you listeners are in the position to support, then you can go on to globalelephants.org. Globalsanctuary.org. Uh, Globalsanctuary.org um, and, and support that, that fantastic uh, concept or, or project. And you're absolutely right. Every little bit helps. I mean, if you can give a dollar... Uh, give up a latte for a week, you know, give up one six-pack of beer for a week, or you can give a substantial amount. Every little bit helps and moves conservation, which is, I said, a long-term process, and sanctuary, which is also a long-term process. We're talking about long-lived animals that have been uh, severely abused in a variety of situations, um, not even including being taken from the wild to be sent to China and this current uh, proposal to be sent to two zoos in the United States. There is a lot going on and there is a lot you can do. So visit um, elephantvoices.org and visit globalsanctuaryforelephants.org. Google it, uh, Scott Blaze, B-L-A-I-S or Blay. I'm not sure exactly if the S is pronounced. Joyce and uh, Poole. Sorry? Yeah, just like you said, uh, Scott Blaise, okay. B-L-A-I-S. So um, look it up, folks. Uh, spend some of that time instead of 
um, ragging on and on about non-essential things on Facebook, spend some time looking up what you can do to make our world a very different place. So, unfortunately, we are out of time today. Joyce and Petter, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to talk to me again. It's, it's great. It's always wonderful to catch up with you. Thank you so much, Ellie. It was great to talk to you, too. And hopefully, um, well, you'll be in Mozambique in May. I'm hoping to head back to Africa by May, so maybe we can meet up somewhere. Never been to Brazil. That could be interesting. So um, I hope to see you soon sometime. Uh, We'll cross paths on this great planet of ours. Meanwhile, this is Ellie Weiss, my guests Joyce Poole, Petter Granley, and this is Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 